For those of you who are visitors among us, we are at this time reading the New Testament together as a congregation. And um, we're doing it um, on a, a project that's set up by Biblica. And we're not only reading the New Testament as a congregation, but we're reading it in a different way. We've taken all the chapters and verses out, and we have changed the order of which we read. And it makes a huge difference. At least many of us are finding that as we chat. Everywhere I go, we chat. There was a a murder mystery party at our house last night um, amongst many of our young people gathered there. And even there, the parents were talking to me. I'm listening to it. Well, I listened to it once and I'm reading it this time. I'm fine. And it's really interesting how it acts. And there is this buzz going around where people are pointing out some things they have never noticed before and some questions that are alarming them and all kinds of other ways. But it's an interesting, refreshing way to read the New Testament. And we started in Luke and we moved from Luke not into John, but into Acts. And that changes things because Luke wrote Acts. And then we went into Thessalonians, the two letters, because out of Acts come these letters back to the places that we met in Acts. And it's fascinating. And what Jonathan and I are trying to do over the course of Lent while we're doing these readings is um, that we are going to preach from some of the stuff that's popped up for us. And today we've just read this Holy Spirit coming down from heaven onto the disciples where Jesus had told them to wait for his gift. And if you read Luke and Acts, what's really interesting is that both books have this lifting off point. Last week we looked in Luke where John the Baptist came with this counter agenda and even there in the midst of it we're sensing that um, uh, that there's links very clearly between what's said in Luke and what's said uh, in, in Acts. Um, here's what we read last week. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than me will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And then Jesus comes and gives us this counter agenda that we looked at in last week's sermon. And then when we come to chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each, each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This prophecy of John coming true right at the outset of the Acts of the Apostles. Somebody's going to come and he's going to do more than just tell you you need forgiveness. He's going to give this Holy Spirit so as you can live out this life of forgiveness. But just before we move on to that, and there's a lot of, I think, interesting stuff coming out here. Um, Let me take you back to the Old Testament. Let's just think about this. There they are. They're all waiting for God to do something. And it says as if tongues of fire came on their heads. What might be some of the implications of that? Or why might that be the case? Well, let me read from Numbers chapter 9 when the tabernacle 
There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the tabernacle. This is the place where people will focus their attention, the presence of God in their midst. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it at night, and it looked like fire. Then let's move from a tabernacle and an ark to the temple, where God's presence was there right in the midst of the most holy of holies. When Solomon finished praying, this is at the dedication of the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. So here's these two Old Testament places where we sense the presence of God. In the tabernacle, then the temple. And what is the mark that the presence of God is there? Like tongues of fire, like fire came down to almost point out this is the dwelling place of God. And what happens there in the Acts of the Apostles? As if tongues of fire came down upon the Apostles to show us from this moment, from this Pentecost moment, God's presence has moved from tabernacle to temple to you guys. Because now if you want the presence of God, he is amongst his people. The Holy Spirit is now alive in those who believe. This is a remarkable moment in the history of the church in the world. From this point on, the Holy Spirit is available to us and indwells us. And we're going to need it because you remember last week, this counter agenda that wants to affect everything that happens on planet earth, wants to transform us as individuals, but even greater than that, wants to transform the economic systems and the social systems and the political systems of our world. How on earth could a bunch of ragamuffin vagabonds like the apostles possibly sitting there in Jerusalem bring about that counter agenda to the ends of the earth. I mean, Peter wasn't even getting after three years and was cutting people's ears off. How were they going to ever go from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to the ends of the earth? It is an irrational idea. Because the counter agenda can't happen without this energy of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live the counter agenda. Jim Wallace spoke to our students when I was in chaplaincy. Jim Wallace of Sojourners and um, one of, I suppose, America's uh, most political, uh, Christian political thinkers and cultural thinkers. And he said that he gave up, he grew up in the, I know there's some of you that did, so I don't want to, there's so many of you that did, I don't want to offend you all, but maybe you'll not be too offended. He grew up in the Brethren. And um, and in the town that he was in, it was a divided town, black and white. And he couldn't understand why his church that believed all this stuff about Jesus had no black people in the congregation. And when he asked one of the elders, he said, ah, oh, we don't touch that. We don't touch that. And he left the church. He said, if it's got nothing to do with that, then it's got nothing to do with what I'm interested in. 
And he went off to university and he was one of the top university student activists in America during the, the Vietnam protests. He told our students that within five minutes, without mobile phones, this is, he could have 10,000 people on the streets of Detroit in an instant. And he did that. And for a few years he did that. He tried to change the world that his church wasn't changing from outside of his church. And then he said to our students, but there was something missing. I had the ideology. I knew what I was protesting against. I had the power to bring about people on the street. But I didn't have the power to transform society. And I had to bring God back in to my story again. Because if we're going to live this counter agenda, we cannot live it on our own efforts or abilities. And if you were reading this week, and listen, listen, I know some of you, and you are so good, you are ahead of us. Oh, you just get up at four every morning, and you've all read twice before the rest of us crawl out of bed. And I want to tell you, God loves you for it. But I'm looking out more realistically that there's some of us really, and you didn't know that Thessalonians was after Acts, and actually you weren't sure that Acts was after Luke. And you have your wee heads down and you're not keeping up. God loves you just as much as the four o'clock risers that are ahead of us. Be encouraged. Lift our heads. Let's keep going as best we can. But if you have come across the whole panorama of the Acts of the Apostles, you see exactly what the reality of what I've been saying. The Holy Spirit is the energy that allows them to get this thing going. In fact, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because there's very little happens in it that you don't find the Holy Spirit being involved in. There they're told at the start there's going to be world mission and by the end of the book, Paul's in Rome. So there they are huddled in this room waiting for something to happen and not very long down the road, not too many years down the road, suddenly Paul is in Rome proclaiming the faith across the world of his day. The Holy Spirit is the one who was going to come upon them to allow them to have that agenda. The ability to preach, it's there in chapter 2 and chapter 4 and various other places. The visioning and the strategizing when they say, right, we're spending too much time on committee issues, let's get a committee together. And let's get the committee to look after the widows and the orphans. The Holy Spirit trying to get them to strategize how they do ministry right there in chapter 6. In chapter 7, as Stephen is being stoned, there's hope and encouragement for him. It gives him the courage and the bravery to stand up in martyrdom. In chapter 9 and 31, it says, Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The church just sensed in its midst the Holy Spirit giving them peace and strength for what they were doing. Then there's shifts in strategy. As the Holy Spirit has to come to Peter and all that food that he's not supposed to eat and Cornelius and this paradigm shift that Peter has to go through and saying is this stuff no longer unclean can the Gentiles really be Christians and eat this the Holy Spirit's right there as this huge paradigm shift happens within the early church then in chapter 13 2 and 4 we find the Holy Spirit telling the elders to send people out to mission then we find in chapter 13 and verse 9 Saul who was also Paul filled with the Holy Spirit looked straight at Elymas 
and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceits and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the ways that are right in the Lord? Eyeballing the evil of a society around about the Holy Spirit's right there as they do it. In chapter 13 and 52, you will find deep satisfaction of the Spirit as each of them finds their vocation as to what their role in the body of Christ and in their counter agenda is. We find that the Holy Spirit is the energy within that allows these ordinary human beings to transform the very world that they lived in. It is the acts of the Holy Spirit. Tom Wright has already been quoted, but let me quote him again. He says, The Holy Spirit and the task of the church, the two march together hand in hand. We can't talk about them apart. Despite what you might think from some excited talk in the last generation about new spiritual experiences, God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to let them enjoy the spiritual equivalent of a day at Alton Towers. Of course, if you're downcast and gloomy, the fresh wind of God's Spirit can and often does give you a new perspective on everything and above all else, a sense of God's presence, love, comfort and even joy. But the point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, that a new world has opened up and that we are to help make it happen. Let me read that again. The point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all of the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, A new world has opened up and that we are to help make it happen. Wright goes on. Equally, the task of the church cannot be attempted without the Spirit. I have sometimes heard Christian people talk as though having done what he's done in Jesus, God now wants us to do our part by getting on with things under our own steam. But that is a tragic misunderstanding and leads either to arrogance or to burnout or to both. Without God's Spirit... There is nothing that we can do that will count for the kingdom of God. Without God's spirit, the church simply can't be the church. Without God's spirit, Fitzroy can't be a church. So what does it mean to us? What does looking at the panorama of the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit and this coming together of believers and the Spirit to make difference. What would it mean as we look at Fitzroy specifically? I think as I look back, we can see some things that have happened here that are clearly the hand of God, even in my time, and in a moment I'll go before my time. Let me just share some of them, and I hope um, I don't embarrass people as I do. Uh, Not long after I came, Keith Preston came up the road from Dungannon, and he said to me, I'm going to set up a sort of a ministry for, for people from other countries, an international place where we'll be able to help them learn English and maybe even share the gospel with them. And I'm doing this in East Belfast and in South Belfast. And I'm going, and how on earth are you going to do that? One man in South and East Belfast trying to reach out to all those people that have come in from all these other countries around the world In a rational way, I have to say, when he left my meeting, I thought, dear love him, that's going to be a bundle of laughs, that. And then somebody said to me, 
You should say to Keith to go and look at Ulsterville. That building is now no longer being used. Maybe he could set it up as a center. And I thought, well, that would help him. At least he'd have somewhere to go, dear bless him. Within three months, I'm at a carol service where there's a hundred people from all around the world. And I'm going, what just happened there? And it wasn't Keith Preston, good and all as he is. And then one night, not long after I've met Keith, there's this young English fellow who supports Man United, but we'll forgive him for that. Meets me just right down there, just behind where Heather's sitting. I can see the very place where it happened. And he came up to me and he says, look, I've come over from England. I used to work with OM and I used to share my faith and I really want to get involved. What should I do? And I have no idea where it came from, but I just said, you need to go and meet Keith Preston. Ulsterville, Tuesday. Get over there and meet him. Michael's now employed, working for Keith Preston in that project that it seems to me at this point in Michael's life, and he might shout amen at me, is just right for his vocational role in the kingdom. (laughs) Wasn't me, but we talk about it, Michael and I, so many times. What happened in that moment? It wasn't my idea. I had no idea who this guy was. I had no idea what gifts he had. I'd never met him. Something, something. Now, if you'd have said to me that night, do you think that'll work? I'd have said, well, it might. I had a hunch that it might be the Spirit. But I would never have declared that it was the Spirit until I saw that it happened. Because it could have been just my hunch. But it was the Spirit's hunch. When I came here, I was interviewed by the session, and one of the questions they asked was about mission in the area, and I was aware that Mornington had kind of slipped off the radar. And so for the three months before I came, I was thinking, Mornington, Mornington, Mornington. When I say Mornington, for some reason, I I don't know, Moina just seems to not like that word. um, (laughs) But anyway, um, so I was thinking, 174, Heather Carey, Mornington, here, that would work. And there I'm praying about it, and I'm thinking about it, and we're wondering what we could do to fill the Mornington void. We weren't thinking we would go into Mornington. We were thinking, how can we from here do something different? And I get a phone call from Susan McEwen, and she says, Steve, it's Susan McEwen, and I'd married Susan McEwen. I've married many people, you understand. Only one is a wife, but you know what I mean. And, and Susan said, we went to Nick Grass, um to find out what we could do because Mornington's going down the plug. And she said, the guy said to me, have you talked to Steve Stockton at Fitzroy? And she said, he married me. And she said to me on the phone, she said these words, and I'll not forget these words. Susan said to me, for once in a very long time, I sensed that God existed because that was so right. And now we have Katie working in there. We have things beginning to happen in there. Why? Because we come up with some idea? No, 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 no. Because the Holy Spirit is at work amongst us. Because we're trying to keep up with what he's doing. And we need to hear from the Spirit as we begin to reach out into the neighborhood that we have. There's many other places and things I could talk about that I won't because I want to move on to another thing. You see the hand of God all the way through what happens in the book of Acts. There's another thing that we came to there, and I want to stop that for a moment because I think it's really important for us as a church. Paradigm shifts. When Peter met with Cornelius and he went through all that unclean food, this was a huge shift 
of theological and biblical and religious thinking. This can't be right, God. But the Holy Spirit was able to show Peter that this was right and that this was a new thing that needed to happen against all the rationale or the support of the theological thoughts around about. When Ken first met Jerry, when Fitzroy first connected with Clonard, there was a paradigm shift. This was not what you did in Presbyterianism in Northern Ireland. Cross a boundary to talk to a Catholic. Go up to some mass up the road in the falls or have them down into your church. Come on. This is not the way we did it. We're reformed and we're Presbyterian and we're not going to get involved. And so for Ken and Jerry, they, I'm sure, if they were here to share it and they could share it for a long time if they were here, I'm sure, had to work through that theology of the paradigm shift that eventually got that beautiful piece of glass that's out in the foyer if you want to see it. The first Protestant church to ever win the Vatican Peace Prize, you're sitting in it. Why? Because Ken would agree, I think, that the Holy Spirit put him through a paradigm shift that was not just for him or for Fitzroy, but was for our society. Last Sunday morning, did you hear it? Last Sunday morning, right here in front of this microphone, I got as close to Old Testament prophecy as I've ever heard it. I'm standing here. And I heard a man say things that I never thought I would hear said in Northern Ireland. Did you get it? Maybe you didn't, because the blessing at the end, what's that? It's only a blessing. But how many times has Jerry been here that I didn't go down and say to him, Jerry, would you give us a blessing this morning? But on Sunday morning, I sensed that I needed to say, Jerry, give us a blessing this morning. Now, I didn't know what happened in Clonard an hour earlier. I didn't know what Jerry was going to say. But Jerry came forward here, and you might have missed it. But it's remarkable. Jerry said this morning we were advertising Philip Orr coming tonight to Clonard, and I did this blessing for our people. And then he said these words. God, in the 100th anniversary of 19 and 12, that could be so divisive, listen to this. Catholic priest, Falls Road, Belfast. I pray for the Queen and for President Higgins that by the Spirit they might be led to see us through this time without conflict. Something like that. On the Falls Road in Belfast, a priest was praying for the Queen. Did we miss that? That is incredible. And he told me the struggles he had doing it on the way down to the back as we want to shake hands. Paradigm shifts. Paradigm shifts don't only change us or the world or the church. They change the very world. And we as a congregation of all congregations have to listen carefully to in the next number of years, what are the paradigm shifts that God will want us to follow after. Paul Nolan's report this week on peace and the monitoring survey that they've done suggests that we're not just as peaceful 
as we think we are. And we can't just allow Clonard Fitzroy to be something that got us to where we are. We have work to do, which really encourages me to see our young people meeting with their young people and building houses uh, together and doing other things together. We as a church do not drop the paradigm shift that's been. And let us look for the paradigm shifts to come. But finally, in all of this, mavericks with the Holy Spirit are a very dangerous thing. I could walk across here right now and I could tell you there's somebody in the house and that person in the house has got a sore shoulder just around it. The Holy Spirit was not given for party pieces. Not so that we would have Alton Towers on a Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit is given so that we as a body, in a united way, because if you look through the Acts of the Apostles, very rarely, and in fact I couldn't find it, did the Holy Spirit come to one person. There's always a group of people. There's always one or two at least. The Holy Spirit told us not to go across there. Or the Holy Spirit, this is about togetherness. So when Stockman gets some wacky idea, it might be a Stockman wacky idea. If it's of the Spirit, then we need to bring it through a session. We need to bring it through a congregation. We need to be a body of people that listen for the Spirit and together as a church move in the Spirit. I joke about you as your four congregations. It's not easy on a Sunday morning to preach a sermon to four congregations, but you are theologically and in all kinds of other ways. There's four little identities out there. And oh yes, I know all four of you. And some weeks I really don't please that one. And other weeks I don't please that. And sometimes I don't please any of them. But you know the thing that maybe allowed us to do the paradigm shift? We're still together. We don't all agree with the same theology. We don't all come from the same backgrounds. But we're united. And somehow the power of that is the Spirit keeping us together. and the richness of our diversity, there will be critique as the Spirit moves for us not to let our own ideas get us out of hand, but allow the Spirit to take us forward. Tutu has said many times, don't come up with an idea and ask God to bless it. Find out what God's doing and get involved in that because that's already blessed. That's what we need to be about. Sensing what God is doing and getting on board with God's blessing. There was an ad for, I think, Budweiser. Forgive me. But I don't know whether you remember it, but it's one of those ads from long ago. The guy came into a bar and he kind of bumps into all these people along the way and they made it look like an American football or something. And he got to his mate at the bar and his mate said, well, you got here, it took you a while. And he said, yeah, I got here, I bumped into a lot of people along the way. In the Acts of the Apostles, they get from Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit's the one who causes them to bump into people along the way. Because when they were baptized with the Spirit, the Spirit could see Rome. And the Spirit then used this motley crew to get to Rome. I have no idea where the Spirit's saying we're going in the next 10 years. 
But let's together listen. Ask the Spirit to fill us and get involved what he's involved in because that will be truly blessed. Let's pray. Spirit, bend us, break us, mold us, shape us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us as individuals and as a community of believers. In Christ's name, amen.